Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, July 30th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor and Senior Writer Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Penn Pearson. Hey, what's going on? we got so many senior writers here today. <laughs> um, okay, uh, let's get into the news. Um, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about. Let's first start at Amazon and their Tomorrow War. It's a, a, apparently a huge hit. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, normally we hear from uh, like the streamers themselves. They're you know out there touting their numbers and claim, you know making big proclamations about how their uh, projects performed uh, over streaming. But uh, Nielsen is a, a third party system that's been you know operational since. God, I mean, decades, they've been like the the go to source, um, you know, long before the age of streaming in terms of measuring viewership on certain properties. And Nielsen uh, has released its ratings for the last week of June, they typically wait a few weeks to, to sort of process the data and stuff like that. So um, the Tomorrow War, when that movie came out, like the last week of June through July 4th, clocked 1.22 billion minutes uh, of, of viewership. So that sounds like a lot. Um, I guess evidently, if you do the math, it's like 8.8 million uh, viewers. Like, uh, you know, if you break down the um, the runtime of the movie and just divide it by the number of people that were, were watching it. Um, so that's only in the U.S., though. And Amazon is like a worldwide company. So this movie um, costs like $200 million for uh, Amazon to make. And if it performed that well in the U.S., then chances are it also performed pretty well overseas considering Chris Pratt is like a major star and a major box office draw uh, overseas. And the movie has this, this sort of, um, you know, four quadrant premise of being this, you know, time travel action kind of uh, big independence day style um, action film. So yeah, I mean, it, it's looking like the tomorrow war was a good uh, investment for Amazon. Like I'm always surprised when we get these numbers from streaming services, like touting these films as big successes because even in our little corner of, you know, Twitter, the film Twitter, I, I don't see that many people talking about Tomorrow War or, you know, Bright or any of these films that like Netflix or 
Amazon or I guess now Nielsen is mm-hmm. claiming was a huge success. Like, are, are you surprised? I mean, I'm kind of not because if you look at the list of like, uh, like Netflix, for example, like their top movies of all time, like uh, the Mark Wahlberg movie, Spencer Confidential is on there. And like, I've literally never <laughs> heard anyone talk about it ever. Ben, and I think th- it's, that is a movie that doesn't exist. I've I know that's the thing. Before. There are there are a lot of films that like that, that you would be surprised are so high on these lists, but they have, you know, big stars. And I think they're the kind of movies that like, maybe um, attract the widest number of people, but the movies themselves end up just being fine. So nobody ends up, uh, you know, becoming a quote unquote fan of them. Like nobody, everybody's like, oh yeah, I watched that. That's fine. And like, nobody is vocal about their support of the movie because it was just a thing that ended up, you know, wasting two hours of their life or something. So um, I think if these movies were better uh, then I, you know, (laughs) we would obviously hear a lot more people talking about them. But I think I think the fact that um, that, you know, you've never heard anyone say, hey, I watched Spencer Confidential uh, kind of speaks to the the quality of that movie and, and maybe the quality overall of the of the stuff that the streamers are putting out right now. Yeah, it probably speaks to the fact that we haven't seen many sequels, many franchises spawn out of these so-called very successful hits for the streamers. But um, let's talk about another Amazon thing. Uh, Amazon is turning a league of their own into a TV series. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, so we've known about this for a little while. Um, Abby Jacobson, who is the uh, co-creator and co-star of the Comedy Central series Broad City, is working on a series adaptation of A League of Their Own that will put a little bit of a different spin on the story of uh, all the, the female professional baseball players that step up to the plate uh, to kind of keep people entertained during World War II while, uh, you know, millions of men were out on the battlefield and not, you know, doing things like playing baseball and whatnot. And so uh, the series will actually kind of expand the scope uh, of the story, focusing on uh, a larger ensemble of, of women uh, and players and digging a little bit more into them as characters. Uh, you know, the movie itself kind of, uh, it included a, a fun ensemble, but it mostly focused on the story of, of two sisters who were playing the game. And uh, this series is expanding the scope a little bit. And uh, one of the characters who is actually part of the the big screen ensemble was played by Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, she played a, uh, a baseball player named uh, Doris Murphy. And because of O'Donnell's connection to A League of Their Own, Abby Jacobson asked her to come back and take a supporting role in the new series. Uh, but she won't be playing the same character since this is, you know, a new uh, version of A League of Their Own. Instead, she'll be playing uh, a bartender at a local gay bar. Um, and that gives us not kind of an idea of what to expect from this series uh, as it expands the scope of the story. Because um, even though there were some subtle implications of there being uh, gay characters, especially when it comes to Rosie O'Donnell's character in A League of Their Own, there weren't any explicitly uh, lesbian or uh, gay or queer characters that were in A League of Their Own, despite there being some who were present at the time when uh, these female baseball leagues were taking place so the fact that we'll have a character who is bartending at a gay bar means we'll obviously be meeting uh some some gay female characters that are in the series and that lines up with what we've heard about the show because it's it's said that in addition to um you know focusing on a larger ensemble of players it will quote take a deeper look at race and sexuality uh following the journey of a whole new ensemble of characters as they carve their own path towards the field both in the league and outside of it so i imagine we'll probably have characters who are you know struggling with their place in society, uh, whether it's because of the color of their skin or their sexuality. 
Yeah, I, I think this movie really lends itself to a series of adaptation. Like, there's so much more that could be tackled here. Uh, were either of you guys a big fan of League of Their Own? Yeah, this is a great movie. Um, I, I like this movie uh, a lot. You know, I'm I'm one of those people where I'm not a huge sports fan, but I love sports movies, and A League of Their Own is definitely uh, one of the best ones out there. I tried to watch this once, Peter, and oh, got no. like 30 minutes in and just couldn't finish it, and that almost never happened ben! to me. And I, I know, ben, I know, I know. This might be like one of my most unpopular takes of all time because of how uh, beloved this movie is. I just couldn't get into it. I, I didn't like anything about it, so I don't, I don't wow. know. I can't explain myself. That is that is very upsetting. I know. <laughs> what, what was the point that you're like, okay, I'm shutting this off? Like, did something happen? Was you're, um, you're just I don't like remember. so not into it? It was like a year or two ago. Um, yeah, I think I just like all of none of the humor worked for me, and I just was not. I was not feeling it. I obviously heard so much about the movie and heard it was a classic and it was like this beloved thing. And maybe my expectations were too high going in or something. And, but I just was like, wow, this, this entire thing just feels like super flat to me. And even when Tom Hanks rolled in, I was like expecting him to like bring some life to it. And I just was not, I don't know. I was not on that movie's wavelength for some reason. I just love how grumpy he is. I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen that movie in many years, so maybe some things probably don't hold up, but, uh, yeah, Ben, that's shocking. <laughs> I know. I, I have no, I cannot explain myself. <laughs> okay. Let, let's move on to Warner Brothers in the DC universe. Uh, of course, The Rock is doing Black Adam, and we have learned some things about the technology that they're going to use to showcase the character's superpowers. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so Hiram Garcia, who's one of the producers who has worked with Dwayne Johnson for a long, long time, uh, was recently talking in an interview about this upcoming Black Adam movie, which Johnson has been attached to for more than a decade at this point. And um, he basically says, uh, we wanted to make sure that moviegoers feel that he can, uh, basically that he can, this character will have super speed, he can fly, and he has, quote, world-breaking strength, to name a few, when, when talking about his superpowers. And uh, Garcia said, we wanted to make sure that moviegoers feel that throughout the entire movie. You're not going to see him use super speed just once, and then it stops. This is part of his arsenal. Uh, and then he says later on, uh, the technology that we're using to make Black Adam fly has never been done before. It's completely unique. It was critical for us to ensure that it felt special, authentic, and real. Unfortunately, we don't know any more details about what that technology actually is or like exactly what sort of like new uh, stuff they're bringing to the table to make this look interesting and, and real. But um, yeah, they're going to launch the rock out of a out of one of those <laughs> cannons and they're going to use. <laughs> no, uh, no. That's funny. Actually, that's a, that's an interesting thing. I mean, that sounds like a joke, Peter, but uh, <laughs> but Garcia said our special effects team are Oscar winners and we certainly put them to work. And there's a distinction between special effects and visual effects. Visual effects is done in post-production on a computer. Special effects is like the, you know, the actual stunts and props and like physical stuff that happens on a set. So maybe you're onto something there. Hmm. My first thought is that they're going to just use that like Mandalorian technology, the stagecraft to somehow be able to control the camera around him as he's flying and you'd see the environment change around. It. But I, I guess hmm. it's not like, is that completely unique? No, because yeah, I don't know. Cause like there's been what, like speeder bike chases and stuff like that. Right. That probably have, yeah. have done similar things in the Mandalorian. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what this ultimately, ultimately ends up looking like, but I'm, I'm kind of uh, intrigued by what he was talking about where like 
you actually see this character use like the entirety of his skill set throughout the movie. Cause I think that that's a good point. It, it sort of feels like, especially in Superman movies, like, you know, the character has like a whatever ice breath or something. And like, you almost never see Superman do that, even though it's a, a thing that he could do. So um, yeah, I wonder to what extent black Adam will actually be sort of cycling through his, uh, his superpower skill set throughout the entirety of this movie. Mm. Brad, do you have any theories on, on, on how they're going to do this? No, I honestly don't. Um, I, I like what you guys said. That sounds like an interesting prospect, but like, like Brad said, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm most curious to see yeah, what it's like to see a superhero always using the, you know, the, the skills and powers they have at their disposal, because it always only seems like they use it when it's like most convenient, you know, kind of in the same way where like, the Power Rangers uh, won't just bring in their Zords immediately. They're like, oh, we have to fight and struggle first. And it's like, oh, you know what? We should just bring in the Zords. It's like, no, just bring in the Zords all the time, you dumbasses. <laughs> That's so true. Okay, let's go from DC to the Marvel Universe. We're going to have uh, a few stories here on Loki, and they're all spoiler dependent. So if you have not seen Loki season one, uh, you know, you're going to want to tune out now because we're going to be talking about, you know, implications of the the ending of that series. So you have been warned. Spoilers for Loki season one. OK, so that that show ends with the multiverse opening up. And, uh, you know, that's led to a lot of questions. We've we've written explainers on, on Slash Film. We've had conversations. Brad and I have, you know, our brains have broken uh trying to to understand what exactly is happening here uh because i think it's more complicated than most people seem to think um but the the head writer of the series has come out and kind of tried to explain how the the multiverse works in the marvel cinematic universe brad tell us about it yeah so there's basically just been a lot of questions about what what it means you know with the multiverse being in place and how time unfolds in in that way you know what what does it mean that like there's something completely different happening in another Marvel uh, universe as opposed to the one that we've been watching and, and that kind of thing. And so uh, he broke it down in a, in a very simple way where he's basically just said that there are infinite instances of time always occurring at once, which which means that like right now, you know, we're having a podcast and uh, we're having this conversation. But there's another instance of this podcast also happening where the language varies slightly. And like Michael Waldron talks about this by, by like saying – you know, there, there's one version of this podcast that's HT reading the story and it's completely different. Right, exactly. Or there's one where like I'm, I'm talking about this and, and you don't mention HT in this conversation, like little small var- <laughs> variations where things are mostly the same, but stuff stuff is slightly different. But then there are also timelines where things are completely different because of something else that happened. And so like the way Waldron describes it, he's like, you know, five times out of ten. I'll pick up the phone and say, hello, four times out of 10, I'll say, hey, nice to meet you, you know, or another one, I'll say, hey, man, fuck you. I don't want to do this interview. (laughs) So, you know, obviously, the one is drastically different from from the other. And so there are a lot of these different timelines where a lot of the same things happen, but then there are certain major differences. And so that kind of allows for all these, you know, different variations of characters, specifically someone like uh, Kang the Conqueror. Yeah. Well, I think that the part of how Kang comes about is kind of explained in that whole monologue uh, by he who remains in the show. But the thing that's kind of breaking my brain, and I've brought it up in our Loki podcast, is like, you know, at the end of the show, uh, we, we have Loki. He's sent back to the TVA, but he finds himself not in the TVA that we have seen before. It's a TVA that's, that's been ruled by Kang, and it's a TVA that uh, – 
Mobius has never met him, doesn't know who he is. Uh, which, by the way, seems strange because I'm sure he's been dealing with Loki variants at some point. But anyways, um, it, which to me, when I brought this up on the podcast, what seems strange about that to me is I always assumed that the TVA operated outside of the the sacred timeline. So that there was only one TVA and there was only one citadel at the end of time with one person in there, you know, he who remains. And does this mean that there's alternate TVAs existing or did did Kang go back in time when he came into our multiverse and change the events so that, you know, Mobius never met Loki and uh, he who remains, that whole thing never happened. So that's the part that I mentioned that's kind of breaking my brain. And I wanted to bring up this this interview with Kate Heron she did over at Murphy's Multiverse. Uh, she was kind of asked uh, you know, some simpler questions about this. And here's what she said. She said, it's very subtle, but in the last very last shot where you see the multiverse, there's other bigger physical timeline branches. So it's almost like there's different separate trees that are now connecting. And what she, she goes on to say is, it's almost like a bridge, Heron continues. If, if you imagine the branch, it's another reality. But if the branch extends beyond a certain point, it will then connect to other physical timelines. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys, because th- this to me sounds like she's saying something different than everybody else is saying. She's saying that almost like these, these other multiverses all exist. I guess kind of like Mike, what Michael's saying. That at the same time, all these multiverses actually exist. But it's not that these events, these variants are creating those timelines. It's the fact that those things are creating branches that connect to those timelines. Yeah, I think or or maybe like what I'm picturing, though, is, is maybe like the the sacred timeline is maybe like a timeline that keeps all like all of time basically on the same path where there maybe there are other timelines that are wrapped up in it but they keep everything happening roughly the same with very little variation but then maybe there's some kind of whenever there's a major variation that's caused by a variant or some kind of nexus event that creates a branch that that is big enough that could you know turn off into something completely different from the sacred timeline then that's what they're that's what the tva is always trying to stop and so now that the multiverse has been unleashed all of these branches have the ability to branch out and all become something different from the sacred timeline. So, so are, are you in agreement with me that there is probably a king somewhere else before this event happens and things split up, but he has not had the ability to connect to our timeline? Does that make sense? Yeah, or or it's just not a king who has figured out you know how to do that and be in like how to do the, that. the same position as he who remains or something like that. Ben, is this confusing? Uh, it is. I've been like really laser focused on what you guys are saying, trying to like make sure that I keep it straight in my brain. And I think uh... I think I agree with Brad. I think um, it seems to me like what she's trying to say is that um, you know if if time is like moving forward in a, in a stream, um, and there is an event that happens that uh, that causes a branch that then goes off and connects to another uh, another. I don't know, unit that is also moving forward in that stream, then it's fine. But if, uh, if things go like too crazy, that's when the pruning gets involved, right? Like that's yeah. when the TVA has to come in and like, uh, nip that branch off before it can connect to another, um, you know, forward moving, 
unit or whatever. So what would this all mean? Ben, ben, ben now that you've heard all this, what yes. would this all mean for the TVA and that ending of Loki? Like, is that TV the TVA the only TVA or what is there a TVA in multiple multiverses and he's in another <laughs> TVA? Like, is Mobius still around? Like the one we know that actually met and had adventures with Loki? Is that still around or has that been changed? I think that there's a TVA in every timeline. I, I think because, like you mentioned, um, the fact that Mobius doesn't recognize Loki, and you guys may have talked about this. I did not listen back to the the um, finale recap that you guys did. I haven't haven't listened to it yet. But um, the fact that Mobius does not recognize Loki, I think you mentioned earlier, like, you know, theoretically, Mobius should recognize him because he spent his career tracking down Loki variants. But I think the fact that he doesn't recognize him indicates that in this version of the TVA, Moby has, uh, Mobius has, has not been tracking Loki variants. Maybe he's done like a totally different kind of job um, because I think you're right. I think if, if he had spent that in his career doing that, he would have some familiarity with the concept of Loki, even though he might not recognize the Tom Hiddleston one that, that appears before him. Um, so I, I feel like that means that it's a whole different version of the TVA. I think I think you're probably right there. And another thing we didn't point out in our um, our breakdown, but there was that funny guy in the first couple episodes of Loki who was at the the desk job, Casey. I think is oh yeah, his name. played by uh, Eugene Cordero. Yeah, uh, we didn't mention this, Brad, but in that last scene, that alternate TVA, we see him in the background as a hunter. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah. So I don't know. That, that, that's interesting. I wanted to bring that up because we never got the chance to. But um, I guess my, my my last question to you guys is, do you think they're ever going to explain any of this? Because it, it seems like the show is uh, <laughs> kind of done the best of like, we don't need to explain it. Like as long as people understand what's going on in the, the A plot, it doesn't, they need, don't need to know the, how everything works. I don't think they'll get quite into like the nitty gritty as we are, but I think that they'll probably provide some kind of basic explanation as to like why what's happening is happening and what it means because especially with how important this is going to be to Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. And uh, at least as far as we've heard in rumors, uh, Spider-Man no way home. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, right? Because Avengers Endgame had like this same kind of thing happen where it dealt with like a, a big head scratching concept and like the filmmakers came out afterwards and everybody was saying things that sounded slightly different and all that. But Endgame had the benefit of not having to come back and directly answer this stuff, but Loki is getting a second season. And theoretically, some of this stuff will be uh, specifically addressed in the second season. So um, I think that's where Michael Waldron's uh, uh, sci-fi bona fides will come in handy, you know, his Rick and Morty experience and all that. Um, I, I think they'll, they're probably right now scrambling to figure out an easy way to sort of uh, uh, explain the stuff in a, in a way that uh, is easily processable for, for people. Yeah. You just need an animation with Miss Minutes to explain everything. <laughs> yeah, Waldron even said in our interview that that's one of the things that from Rick and Morty that really helped him is they constantly have to figure out how to explain very complicated sci-fi things in a very quick and easy manner so that people understand them. So. And it's funny that you mentioned Endgame because there's also this other quote from the director of Loki about Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter because, you know, at the end of Endgame, Steve Rogers basically left our timeline. Or did he leave our multiverse and go back or did he go back in time? Brad, what happened? 
Yeah, I mean, he went back to all the places we stole. They stole the Infinity Stones from, so that there wasn't any branching timelines. Yeah, but then he met Peggy Carter, right, and then lived his life. We assume true, and like, with- and and that's this is where kind of like uh, Kate Heron's response comes into play because she says, uh, "quote My theory is this: it comes down to if you're an optimist or a pessimist. If you're an optimist, maybe it was okay for them living that way, and the branch wasn't so severe that it didn't need to be pruned, and they could stay together." Maybe the romantics can somehow uh, say that they managed to exist. But then the pessimists think, no, they probably got pruned. (laughs) So um, I guess it just depends on what you think. Because at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that we did learn in Loki is that even though uh, the Avengers traveled through time to steal the Infinity Stones and undo what Thanos did, uh, that didn't create a variant in the timeline. Uh, Judge Renslayer said that the Avengers were supposed to do that. So maybe Steve Rogers going back and having this happy ending is something that was supposed to happen. Interestingly enough, though, there is um, among Marvel fans, there's this theory that maybe there is something that happened with Captain America and Peggy Carter, because uh, in the first episode, when Loki's being brought into TVA and he's in custody, there's a woman in the background who's wearing like 1940s uh, kind of clothing who somewhat resembles Peggy Carter, which made people think that maybe what happened between them turned them into variants of the timeline. But I have a feeling did anybody ask the director or the writer about that? Because I feel like that to me just felt like it was a coincidence. uh, Entertainment tonight actually asked Kate Heron about that theory and she started to answer, and she goes, I would say, and then she laughed to herself, and she goes, no, I think the conversation should, should continue. So she didn't want to debunk it. She wanted fans to keep debating it. And so I wouldn't necessarily say that that's, like, you know, any confirmation that there's some kind of plans for a story in, involving that. But, you know, at, at this point, you know, anything is possible with Marvel, especially with the multiverse in play. So who knows? Okay. Well, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Write us a sentence about how how much you love this podcast. You know, Give it five stars. Uh, spread the word. And we will see you on Monday.